why pour gas on a fire? You have this successful thing. Why would you do a video promoting it? And, I, and I'm just like, you got to step back. This isn't a video promoting this event. This is a video telling the story of a community that has all these things and this attitude. And you know, that it's, it's your brand story. It's, it's rugged. It's weird. It's authentic. That's, that's Marquette. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. If you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Episode 82 features Aaron Peterson from Aaron Peterson Studios, located in the Marquette, Michigan area. If you are not from the Upper Midwest, you may not have heard of Aaron, but if you have seen the movie Blame Danny about the Margie Gessick or Cold Rolled, the movie that put fat biking on the map visually, then you have seen Aaron's work. Aaron is also the creator of the Fresh Coast Film Festival based in Marquette, Michigan. This is part one of a two-part series on Aaron. Aaron is very open and candid about how he got to where he is today, and I promise there are many lessons and stories that Aaron shares that we can learn from. I'd like to take a moment to thank all the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share the Trail Effect episodes on their social media accounts such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, along with tagging Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped more listeners find the Trail Effect podcast. I'd also like to thank all the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me, and with that... The value for value concept is something that has caught my attention. If you find value in the Trail Effect podcast, you now have a way to provide value for that value via Patreon for a Trail Effect. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Now on to the Trail Effect with Aaron Peterson. So today we have Aaron Peterson from Aaron Peterson Studios. Aaron is a very talented photographer, videographer. He has a, he also has a talented team around him, so it's not just Aaron. Although his name is on the company, he's got some really talented people working with him. And Aaron and I met a couple of years ago. Just basically, I think you cold texted me or cold called me because you were in lacrosse and you and you got a hold of Aaron Rogers, wanting to know who who to talk to in the scene in lacrosse, and so you got a hold of me and I'm and I didn't and. I didn't know who you were at the time, but then I got to thinking and we got to talking and I'm like, this is the guy that's done cold rolled, blame Danny videos, like other videos for a trek. I don't know if whack jobs was out at the time, but if you're like me and you want to geek out on fat bike, snow grooming, whack jobs is like your dream video, <laughs> you know, but regardless, Aaron has done a ton of movie and photo in the mountain bike industry, but more importantly, in the community aspect of things. And that's where a lot of his stuff centers on is community driven stuff, which is why we have him here today, because he's got some really good work. And with that, I'm sure comes some really good stories. 
How's it going today, Aaron? Yeah. It's good. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is this is cool. I, I've I've seen I've seen the podcast, uh, you know, trickling through social for a while, and you uh, got a chance to check it out a while back. And you, yeah, you're doing a good job with it. It's pretty cool. Well, thank you. Let's get into a little bit of your backstory. Like, how did you? You know, we we've established not on audio. Well, it was audio because we were talking, but not recorded audio. That you grew up in the middle of Wisconsin, and now you're up in the UP. But how did you get into the world of video and photo and community-based storytelling? Yeah. I mean, it's, it certainly hasn't been a straight path. Um, I mean, I, you, in order, in order to, to get there, you got to go back to like kind of those like aha moments. Right. Um, so yeah, I grew up in central Wisconsin, uh, Wassa area, rural, rural Wassa area. Um, and went to college down in Madison, um, you know, really wasn't into bikes or cameras at that point. I'd taken like, uh, one darkroom class in, in high school, mostly because of a girl. And, um, yeah, and that, you know, that was film black and white darkroom. So, you know, I, I had always done art, uh, had always done, you know, English and, and you know, language and stuff, but, you know, wasn't really bright enough to have figured it out and put it together yet that, that's where I, where I should be. You know, I was the first person in my family to go to college. Uh, so didn't know how to do that. Didn't know why or what I just knew I didn't really want to be poor anymore. <laughs> so I figured that's why you went to college. This was, you know, mid nineties. So China was, you know, China rising, the awakening dragon, all of that. And, uh, I threw myself into learning Chinese. Um, and I, I thought I was going to do international business. Uh, because that sounded like something that, you know, people who weren't poor <laughs> did. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, Madison is, you know, it's an amazing language school. It's an amazing school all around and majored in Chinese language and literature and East Asian studies, double major and did get into bikes at that point too. My first legit mountain bike, you know, leaving the, the Huffy world behind. Uh, when I got to Madison, got a Gary Fisher, a Kia kind of basic stripped down bike, but, you know, riding a little bit of single track there in the summers back home, um, riding at, you know, nine mile was, uh, developing, uh, you know, I lived out in the country. So, uh, lots of just two tracks and deer, deer trails and, you know, just kind of exploring on the bike has always been my, uh, th that's what the bikes always been for me is more, uh, exploration rather than sport or, uh, you know, racing. It's just, it was a means to, to get around and to, to see cool things. So, you know, did have bikes on, on the radar in, in college, uh, did not have cameras really on, on the radar. Um, but then had a chance to, to go to China, um, as part of a kind of an exchange program, although it wasn't really, for whatever reason, I could never do things the easy way. I couldn't just sign up for, you know, the official university, you know, program that takes you to Beijing and, you know, you live with other Westerners and it comes, you come back and all your credits transfer and everybody's happy. I actually enrolled in, I, I wanted to do this authentic experience, right? So I, I enrolled in this tiny little Chinese university up in the Northeast corner. And, you know, it wasn't sanctioned by, by Matt, by the university. So the credits didn't transfer or anything, but I actually had to drop out of Madison and then go there, go to China, enroll directly in this college um, where I was, you know, I was studying Chinese 
and, and then te- teaching, I ended up teaching English on the side just uh, to, because it was lucrative. But I, I had taken a, a camera with me at that point. I bought a camera before I went um, from uh, a guy in the, the outdoor program. I don't know if anybody knows the, the hoofers in Madison. It's this you know, legendary outdoor program. That was sort of my entree to a lot of things, kayaking and climbing and, and cameras. Um, so I bought a used Nikon uh, film camera and, and was playing with that while in, in China. And you know, long story short, I had the opportunity to travel quite a bit while I was there. I uh, went out, you know, went to Tibet and the Nepalese border up to the Pakistani border, you know, just riding trains uh, all around China and, and you know, taking photos and talking with people. And I sort of realized, you know, I think a lot of Midwesterners, you you grow up with sort of a chip on your shoulder about where you're from. Maybe, you know, if, if you're aware of, you know, the Western world and the outdoor world, you sort of grow up thinking that it's all happening someplace else. And, uh, you know, I definitely, I definitely had that for sure. Coming from a small town and and wanting to, wanting to, you know, knock knock the shit off your boots kind of thing. And went to, went to China and realized how, uh, how clean, and beautiful and friendly uh it was back home not to you know not to knock asia or china I and mean, it was definitely it was a great experience but it, i realized that one i really actually kind of dug where i was from um and two i was supposed to be sharing stories not chasing dollars if i could make the two happen simultaneously great but I think as, as we all know, that's, that's kind of a rare case. Uh, so, um, yeah, came back, actually had my camera stolen uh, <laughs> while I was over there. So I came back and thought I was going to do journalism. Uh, and I, I was all hot to enroll in the journalism school at Madison. Um, turns out that's a five year professional studies program. I was a junior at this point and, you know, I was already a year past being sick of school and wanting to get, you know, quote unquote, get into real life in the real world. Um, so I decided to stick with the Chinese degree in order to, you know, I already, I spoke Chinese at this point. I didn't go to a lot of class. I would just show up to the tests and I worked at, at the, the student newspapers. I, you know, chased ambulances for the, 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 the two Madison papers, the, you know, Capital Times and the Wisconsin State Journal. Got to know some of the photographers there, um, you know, uh, just learned a, a ton from them, just kind of shadowing them, uh, really generous with their time. Yeah, and built a portfolio. Uh, and this is all photography at that point. Um, still photography it was film photography you know digital was just just sneaking out you know and uh yeah built a portfolio and you know here i am a senior i applied for probably 50 internships newspaper internships all across the country um got turned down for every single one of them and the way it used to work i don't know if it still works this way but it's like if you wanted to be a photographer in a in a, a newspaper a larger newspaper, you had to do a series of internships. Most of them were unpaid and yeah, they were like six months. So you couldn't even really like, it was really, really difficult lifestyle. And, and, it, and, and then, you know, the reward at the end is like a mediocre paying job that is a lot of work. Um, but that's what I wanted. And, uh, or so I, what I thought I wanted. 
so I was, I was chasing this internship thing, got turned down by all for all of them. And then it was like an early version of like monster or indeed or some, you know, I, I just randomly posted a resume online with one of these services and got a, just a cold email from, you know, an, you know, editor at the newspaper.com, uh, you know, basically offered me a job, a full-time job at a small newspaper in Southern Minnesota. Um, it was the Austin daily Herald. A lot of times I say Austin daily Herald and people are like, wow, Texas. I mean, I don't correct them. <laughs> I know yeah. exactly where Austin is too. So and yeah, not, it's not the Texas version. <laughs> no, it's the town in Minnesota where they make spam. It is. Yeah, it is. It's is spam town USA. And, uh, if it didn't smell like live pigs, it smells like dead pigs. That did have some mountain biking though. Although, yeah, <laughs> the big, when I got to town and I was looking for trails, the local bike shop was talking you know, about going to Iowa. And I'm just like, damn, how, if you have to go to Iowa to mountain bike, like how, like if Iowa is more rugged, you know, has more terrain than that. You know, we now know about the driftless and, you know, know more about the, the terrain in Iowa. And it is, it is pretty rad, but I remember getting there and thinking like, all right. And they're like, they're pointing me further South to Iowa to go mountain biking. Would that have been Decorah or like the sugar bottom area? I think so. It was just over the border. I actually never went. Okay. I mean, this was nine, this was 2000. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think there were some, some high school races maybe in that, it, it, you know, they were like going through grass, grassy fields, like mowed fields and stuff. Yeah. There well, at one wars was happening by then, but before that there was uh, what was called like the salsa chichis series or something where it was like Wisconsin, Minnesota and Iowa had like a race calendar. And that was, that was the center of it. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was oblivious to, to all of that, but yeah, so I got off of this full-time job just out of the blue. I thought it was a scam, uh, but it ended up being legit, you know, 10 bucks an hour, <laughs> like 60 hour a week. Uh, and I loved it. And this is in 2000, by the way. So it's 10 bucks an hour now is different than 10, $10 an hour, 22 years ago. Yeah. But I think they pay nine fifty now. Oh, <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> News, newspapers. Remember them? Yeah, yeah, I do. But, but I, I, you know, I loved it. I loved it. Just being like, just, you just immediately, you know, in that journalism role, you, you end up right in the center of a community. And, you know, I just, I was kind of oblivious to, you know, city politics or county politics, or, you know, just, I, I'm an omnivore for information, you know, and that's what I realized through that journalism process was like, I don't care what the subject is. Like, I, I want to know more, you know, up, up to like, you know, that like 80%, 90% level. And then it's off to something else. But so like the newspaper world was, was perfect. And um, yeah, it was really, it was, it was really cool. I, I, I made it nine months there mostly because it was the prairie. I didn't have a heater. Uh, the heater didn't work in my, in my truck. Uh, and I have never experienced a winter like a prairie winter, man. Like windy. people don't un- windy and so cold, so raw. Like I had a sleeping bag in my truck. I was like wearing it as I drove around and trying to keep the batteries alive. And, uh, but yeah, I knew I wanted to get up north. And you know, this is this is still pretty early internet, and just I just didn't have an evolved vision of the world. I just knew like, okay, I've always loved the UP. Uh, upper peninsula of Michigan. 
uh, you know, growing up in central Wisconsin, it was straight north of me on, you know, highway 51 or highway 45, you know, you go through all the little resort towns in Northern Wisconsin that just, they're beautiful. They're amazing, but they didn't feel like home to me because I didn't have the money <laughs> you know, to, to fit in there. But as soon as you cross that state line, man, it was like, it was like just the wild west, like frontier, like you could camp anywhere. Uh, everything was cheaper or free. It felt like, and, uh, you know, for a 16 year old kid with a driver's license and 20 bucks, the, the UP, you know, you, you could really make it happen in, in the UP. So I kind of had that, like, that was the vision in my head. Like, okay, I have to get North. I need some place with trees and lakes, you know, I, God bless Mower County, Minnesota, but it's the only County in Minnesota without a natural lake. In the, in the state that claims 10,000 lakes. Right. Right. So it just was, uh, it was a good, good spot to start, but I needed to get North and, uh, you know, started looking for a place, uh, that had, had a newspaper, uh, which narrows it down really quickly in the UP. I mean, it was, yeah, it's pretty sparse, you know, 20, that's 21 years ago. I was 2000, 2001. Uh, I had never been to Marquette. I hadn't even heard of it, honestly. Um, it was farther east than I had ever gone in the UP because I just went straight north, you know, and I didn't... Straight to Ironwood? Yeah, Ironwood, Bessemer. Uh, yeah, I can drop River. Hurley in here and people will laugh if they know what Hurley is, but yeah. we'll leave it at that. Well, I only had $20. <laughs> that might have been all you needed. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, yeah, so, you know, the Keweenaw, Porcupine Mountains, like all of that stuff was uh, just... Yeah. So anyway, um, you know, talked my way into a job at the mining journal in, in Marquette, Michigan, uh, you know, Marquette's about, about the same size it was then it's right around 20,000 hovers right around 20,000. But yeah, basically the editor there, you know, it was like January. I went up there on my birthday weekend, January of Oh one and s- snowbanks were just like over the car. It was, it was like an epic winter year. And I just knew I was home, like, like tons of snow. It's like 25 degrees, 20 degrees. It wasn't that cold, you know, compared to Wisconsin winters or, or like the Minnesota winters. Like it was pretty balmy because of Lake Superior. I'm like, oh, this is, this is sweet. And at that point, like my, my passions were fly fishing and sea kayaking. And, uh, those, those are like my three possessions, camera, kayak, and a fly rod. And uh, the coastline of Marquette and then nearby is Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore. It's the Lake Superior shoreline. It's, you know, it's just this really, really nice, epic shoreline. It's a, fresh, it's a freshwater sea. Yeah, it's, a, it's an inland sea. You know, it's, it's uh, just, yeah, lots of room to roam. And I was really drawn to that. Yeah. Talked my way into this job at the mining journal. Like, you know, the, the editor called me back and he's like, really? Like, you really want to move here? <laughs> <laughs> I said, absolutely. You know, he's like, fine, you can have the job. Like, you know, it wasn't like, (laughs) it was, you know, looking back, it's like, he just sort of shrugged and was like, okay, fine. And, uh, yeah, moved up in like March of 01, end of March, you know, there was still snowbanks, you know, like four foot snowbanks in the end of March. And, uh, yeah, just one of those things where it just clicks. It just feels like home. You know, I was so stoked to be doing what I was doing, you know, slinging a camera, 
working at a newspaper and uh, part of the community instantly because you're at the newspaper, you know, you're right in the center of everything, you know, love it or hate it. You know, a lot of people, you know, everybody moans and groans about their, their local news, but at the same time, I mean, without it, you know, the community sort of, you, you have to have it, you know, and, and even in this day and age with everything digital and, and, you know, outside news sources and instant feeds, it's like, if you don't have good, strong local news at some point, uh, of some sort, I feel like the community is adrift, you know? Yeah, but, for sure. What brought you to, what got you into the video side of things or really how'd you transition out of the, the local, the local newspaper scene into what you're doing now, because what you're doing now, and we're going to link all your videos in the show notes, but it's, it's, and yeah. this, this is going to detour a little bit, but there is a video that came out about Copper Harbor and I can't tell who made it. And I think you made it, but I don't know. And you could correct me if I'm wrong, but it was done in 2000 would have been filmed in 2012 when they were doing their ribbon cutting for Trek. Was that one of your films or not? No, but okay. that, but, but that's what launched it. Okay. Uh, I was there shooting stills okay. and yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, the timeline will make sense. Uh, let me, let me lay out a little For bit sure. of backstory because, yes, yes, yes. I spent, you know, I spent, uh, over a decade just shooting stills. Um, you know, digital had just come about, um, you know, kind of let go of, let go of film and transparencies. So, so two things I was working at, at the newspaper, newspaper, my daily job, you know, 40, 50 hours a week. And then I started doing freelance on the, on the side, um, which because at, you know, at the, just being younger, I was fairly introverted. You know, I, I just didn't know how the world worked. I, I didn't, I didn't have the guts to reach out and say, Hey, you know, look at me. Um, didn't have the confidence, but internally I was having this conversation of looking around at Northern Minnesota, Northern Wisconsin, Ontario, the upper peninsula, and seeing it for what I think people see it for now as just this absolute adventure land, you know, this, this, third coast, this fresh coast that really should be held up in the same vein that I, I that our, our other, you know, mountain ranges are, and our coasts are, are, are spotlighted, you know, and, and again, growing up, you know, I had a subscription to backpacker magazine and, uh, you know, I was paying attention and, and I was clipping things out of like, you know, trails I wanted to hike in Glacier National Park and, and, and I did, I went, I went there when I was, you know, 16, 18 road, road tripped out there. And then I get to Marquette and I start exploring like the Lake Superior Highlands areas all around. And I realized like, I mean, this is, it's smaller version, but it has that same feel, right. That same, like hits you in the chest. Like there's, there's some power coming from the land here. And, um, so, and then I'm looking around at national media going, where, where is this? Where, who, no one's talking about this. Cause the conversation is just being held elsewhere. And so I thought, okay, I'm just, I'm going to start taking photos of this, this stuff. And, you know, I'm going to start sending it in the mags and, and it's, you know, it's, they're going to, they're going to feel the same thing I feel and it's just going to work out. And it, it didn't, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't, um, you know, one was, I just didn't know the right people. Uh, two, I was, I was pretty timid. You know, I didn't, didn't have the, the grit, you know, I didn't send three emails. I sent one, you know, minute like Midwest nice. I'd sent one and you know, I wouldn't hear back and I'd think they hated me and, you know, not follow up. And 
realize now that, you know, people are just busy and you just got to hammer away. But so I fell into shooting for regional magazines, got really lucky with a, a couple of Mich- uh, Michigan publications. Uh, it was called Traverse Magazine. It's out of Traverse City. They were, do- they were a monthly magazine and they basically wanted exactly what I was, what I was talking about, which was, um, showing this landscape, the, the adventure possibilities of this landscape, you know, the, you like the UP up until really, I, I feel like up until I started changing the conversation, it was a lot of like goofy, I call it goofy youper stuff. Youper. Uh, so youpers are people that live in, in the upper peninsula of Michigan, the UP youpers. Um, and you know, it's, sometimes it's used derogatorily. I think we've kind of embraced it and it's, it's our thing now, but, um, yeah, it was like, it was like goofiness, wackiness, like, you know, self, self, uh, self. Wasn't there a movie that came out like Escanaba by Moonlight or some, something like that? Yeah. Es- like- yeah. Escanaba in the, the moonlight. Yeah. And you know, there's an, there's an accent. It's sort of like a little Canadian accent kind of, uh, there's, you know, it was, it was a part of the world cut off from, the mainstream for a long time and parts of it still are. And, you know, that's part of the beauty of it. But yeah, like I felt like we didn't, like I say, we, I mean, I'm, I'll never truly be a youper because I moved here. Uh, I'm related to a youper because my daughter, my, my kids were born here. So, <laughs> but, um, I just, I felt like they weren't taking themselves seriously. Uh, they, they weren't really like everyone, like they, they were proud of, the place, but they would sort of shy away from holding it at that same level that, you know, other spots were, were, were held at. And I just, I just saw an opportunity, you know, and, and really it was just driven out of love and passion for the landscape. And just, I started writing articles. I, I, I had a writing background as well. I hadn't really tapped it because, um, photography was my passion at that time. And the writing, writing's a lot of work. I mean, writing is hard work photography not so not so difficult i mean it's especially now digital technology like it's 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 more straightforward it's it can be more lucrative so i wasn't doing the writing bit until i realized in order to sell something i have to have a package you know no one is right no one's writing these articles that i can then hook my photography to so i have to write the article in order to sell the package and so i started doing these little adventure pieces from the, from the UP, um, doing cultural pieces as well. And this was all inside freelance, you know, magazine stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like started to change the conversation a, a little bit. And cause once one media outlet starts talking about something, it's, you know, the other ones sort of start to take notice and, um, there's this like percolation, um, you know, nobody likes getting scoops. So if there's, you see these, cool stories happening in one publication, you know, you, maybe you investigate it yourself and you find a similar story or something. So it's, I felt like we start, started to change the conversation a little bit and, you know, things got to a point, let's see, I, I left the newspaper in 04. Uh, I left full-time work in 04. I, I picked up a part, a part-time journalism gig I, I, I actually with the Catholic diocese up here. Um, they had a little newspaper. So I was, you know, I think like 20 hours a week there while able to do freelance, the newspaper didn't love me doing freelance. So it was sort of this got to this tipping point where it was, it was time to time to sort of jump ship and, and commit harder. And the, 
the church ironically didn't care what I was doing as long as it wasn't against church values. I was raised Catholic, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a good fit at, at the time. And honestly, I got, it was the same work. I just got to do articles about interesting people. They just happened to be Catholic. So yeah, I actually had some, some pretty wild, wild interactions with, with people of faith and, you know, really it was good. Like I said, you know, an omnivore, just like, you know, curious about everything. So it, it was, it was a good fit. Uh, and it allowed me to grow my freelance to a level where I could, I could go completely freelance. You know, my last quote unquote real job was 08. And that, that was that part-time job. But also if you remember 08. <laughs> uh, yeah. Things yeah. went a little sideways with the economy. I, I, I quit my job. Things went sideways with the economy. Housing was like ridiculous or went or just cracked. I mean, I had just bought a, I had just bought this like uh house is my second house, but I, it was this, you know, rural property with a house that nobody lived in for a decade. It was this old farm, like total, you know, it was livable, but like. Livable by it, UP standards. Livable by, by UP standards for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, it needed a decade worth of work. And so I was that, and then also social media, you know, uh, shoot, who's the, the Alice, Alison Krauss has a song, everything's free now. I don't know. Everything's free now they're, you know, they're giving it away and, and social media happened. And like, just like that, like the bottom fell out of um, photography and, and, and writing to a lesser extent because he, not everybody can write where, you know, everybody can take a picture with their phone for the most part. So, yeah, I mean, was, you know, the world was in flux and I kind of checked out. I, uh, my, my kids were born in 09 and 11. I was, I was a stay at home dad, uh, worked on the farm. My, uh, my, my, my wife, uh, had a good job in education. She's a, she ended up becoming a principal really young and, uh, kind of afforded us the, the flexibility for, for me to be at home and, you know, work on the house, raise the kids try and figure some stuff out on the next move, you know, where I was going to go. I was still doing some magazine freelance, but not as much. And then yeah, 2011, I think was when that the video came out in 2012. So it was, things were starting to heat up in, in, in Copper Harbor. You know, there was, there was a, a mountain bike scene, you know, that classic story there, there was, there was a mountain bike scene everywhere to some extent but depending on how developed how on the grid it was and copper harbor was you know knew that getting it on the grid and getting it to a national level was was going to be the ticket you know for this this tiny little place up at the tip of nowhere literally the and, tip you know, of nowhere oh literally yeah i mean the finger stuck up in the middle of lake superior tickling the, the belly of lake superior you know i mean it's it's, it's out there. And, uh, you know, I loved Copper Harbor. I've been going up there for years, uh, kayaking, hadn't ridden bikes up there. Didn't, you know, it really was sort of unaware of it. I wasn't even really riding bikes that much in, in Marquette other than the bike path and, you know, cruising around town and stuff. Let's see. So yeah, uh, you know, this was Hanzi got, uh, you know, was, was pretty new at Imba and was really shaking things up. You know, Aaron, Aaron Rogers, uh, was working for Imba, uh, had a team, you know, going a, a lot of them from the Keweenaw or, you know, Upers, and it was all kind of starting to gel. And I, I was there with the camera 
I, th- I think it was, it might've been like Sam Raymond from, uh, you know, Kiwana, Kiwana Adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Kiwana Adventure Company. Kiwana Adventure Company. Thank you. Yeah. It was, you know, Sam Raymond from the Kiwana Adventure Company was, you know, he was instrumental up there, was behind, you know, pushing trails. And uh, I think he might've invited me up and said, Hey, you know, Trek's doing this video. Um, Andrew Chandro's coming into town. You know, I didn't, I didn't know who Chandro was. I, you know, Hazi's going to be here. Imba's going to be here. Um, you know, would you like come up and like take some photos for the trails club? And I was, yeah, sure. You know, it was, it was cool. And, you know, I was just kind of curious and, you know, it's always, there's always a little like, you know, this is my turf who's coming in. They're flying in some hot shot from BC to, you know, to, to, to shoot this, to make the video. I didn't make video at the time. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it was just sort of like curiosity. Like, how, like, how do they do this? How's this done? And, um, yeah, it was Aaron, Aaron LaRock, who at the time, I think he was just LaRock on pink bike and he, let's see. And then he went on to find, uh, form, uh, MindSpark, uh, MindSpark cinema. I, I think he's still doing MindSpark cinema. They shoot a lot of, uh, a lot of high end, like component videos for like, you know, sh- shocks and, 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 uh, drivetrain and stuff. But he's still still pretty much in, in the in the bike industry. But yeah, it was, you know, he he showed up just, you know, one guy, one camera, tripod. And, you know, we all hung out and I watched him work and we had some good conversations off to the side about the feasibility of it and you know if I could do it. And you know, he was sort of like a no-brainer, like you absolutely you absolutely should be doing should be doing video. You know, if you're writing and you're you're shooting, I mean you're already doing it. You're just doing it on paper. And, you know, this is right when tech is shifting too. So the photo cameras that I'm using, you know, video, digital videos coming into that at a, at a level that's good enough to use. So it was all sort of gelling. And um, yeah, that, that year I, uh, I kind of went back from that project, super inspired. You know, it was a great, a great video when it came out and I, you know, I was reaching out to Aaron, Aaron LaRock. So it was Aaron. All the Aaron's. Yeah, all the <laughs> yeah, Aaron Rodgers, trail builder and entrepreneur, you know, Aaron LaRock, filmmaker, uh, Canadian, and then Aaron Peterson, confused photographer, <laughs> about, about to be videographer and filmmaker. And uh, yeah, I, I, you know, threw like $10,000 worth of new stuff on the credit card that, that, that winter. I think that was winter of 11. And in winter of, 12. Well, let me hit pause there because I was working with the travel industry. So on the photo side of things, the travel industry in my region, in the the upper peninsula was just sort of starting to go through an evolution as well, where they were waking up. Travel Marquette was waking up to the reality, the impact of outdoor recreation. You know, the director at the time was, she, she was, you know, she was an older lady. But she definitely, you know, she had her finger on the pulse of things. And even though it wasn't her world, she, you know, she, she understood that like this was sort of the shift that was happening. You know, it's, it wasn't just goofy youper stuff. Like there was something going on here with, with these, these bikes and these skis and these kayaks. And she had heard about these, the fat tire bikes, like these fat bikes, or, you know, we, we, we were calling them snow bikes. And you know, this, this is 2011, 2012. There's a, a Pugsley and a Muckluck, I think are, you know, yeah. available for the most part. 
Um, I think there was some 907 stuff creeping down from Alaska pretty early on. And um, so I, I'd been doing photo work from them and had a you know pretty good photo contract with them where they were using stuff that I'd shot over the years. And then they were hiring me to shoot new stuff. It was all photo. Uh, and it was really sort of that, that shift for me from, you know, barely making it doing freelance magazine work to all of a sudden, like having a bit of a cushion, you know, making a, a for, for the UP, uh, an actual income from, from this work. And it gave me a little bit of a buffer to t- take some risks, to experiment a little bit, to know like, okay, like. I have this income coming in guaranteed from this contract with, with travel Marquette. I'm going to take that and spend that on some video equipment and start learning video editing. Cause I mean, that, that was the real pinch point, right? Like the editing and uh, learning, learning uh, Adobe premiere or, you know, whatever, just learning that tech wrapping your head around it. It's, it's a different way of thinking. It's a diff- it's different from photo, you know, just night and day different from photo editing. It's different from writing editing, you know, even though it's similar skills, just the way you actually have to do it and you have to move the bits of bits around. Um, it's different. It's, it's, it's like this game of Tetris, you know, everything's moving at the same time and you're, you're trying to make a story out of it. So anyway, um, yeah, my travel work gave me a little bit of breathing room to, to take some risks. Um, and video was the risk and fell in love with it, uh, fell in love with it immediately. It was sort of this just like dope slap moment. Like, Oh, I've been shooting and I've been writing for, you know, at this point, you know, almost, almost 10 years, you know, not all of it, not all of it getting paid, but you know, at this point I've been dabbling in this for like a decade, pretty good at it. And shooting, writing, visual story, and then you you hit you hit record for the first time, and you're like, holy shit! Like this is where it all comes together. Like this is this is just that like lightning bolt moment where you're like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Like this is who I am. It's filmmaking, it's video storytelling, um, and it's the and the technology has now come to the level where it's approachable for you know a common citizen to be able to actually buy into this tech and, and be able to harness it. And, um, yeah. So I talked travel Marquette into expanding the photo contract into a video contract. I mean, I literally was in a room and, and you know, and this is also like a coming of age story, right? Because you're finally getting the guts to, 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 to say, yeah, I do that. Yeah. I'm good at that. And, uh, it, yeah, I, I deserve this or, you know, and, and maybe stick your neck out a little further than you should, but, but then hopefully have the skills to back it up. Not that much different than mountain biking. <laughs> I refer to that as living on the edge of incompetency. Living on the, yeah, yeah. The, the cutting edge of incompetency. So yeah, sitting in a meeting and, you know, I don't think I'd ever hit record at this point. And, you know, someone with a budget on the other side of the table is we understand you're doing video now. And just without even hesitating going, yes, I am. <laughs> and you know taking away a, a contract and then you know immediately you know sink or swim having to learn how to do it and you know those are the first couple video projects that no one's ever seen and they're you know they were they, it was it was in, kind of in the travel world economic development world like we but i it got paid to cut, cut my teeth on on shooting and editing and then uh, travel market extended the photo contract into a video contract. And the way we did it was, it was just going to be like X amount of deliverables in the, in the span of a year. 
subject matter was pretty loose. You know, I was getting getting paid monthly as part of the contract. And uh, I had an idea of what I thought we should do. And it didn't involve fat biking. It didn't involve, I mean, I, I wasn't in that scene. I was on the edges of it. I knew the guys that were riding and the guys that were grooming. I'd heard, heard the whispers, you know, I mean, it's pretty, still pretty secretive. I, I felt, you know, pretty much like a closed society. And uh, the director of Travel Marquette at the time, she was like, I've been hearing about these fat tire bikes. And her understanding was they were like, like uh, bark, bark crawlers that, you know, you could put a growler cage. You know, she heard about the growler cages <laughs> and she, she, she was, that was clicking for her, like for tourism, like, Oh, like people can get these bikes and they can ride around to our, you know, we got this exploding brewery scene in Marquette with black rocks and Ordock and, you know, and so she, that, that's where she was at. And she's like, you should, you should do a video on that. And I was like, all right, like, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll get paid to like, shoot bikes and beer and my, you know, my, my friends that I've, I've heard they're doing this. So I'll, I'll look into it. And I started looking into it and it's like that journalistic instinct just kicks in where you just can't stop. You can't stop asking questions or pulling thread, pulling, pulling the strings, you know, just like in the sweater just starts unraveling. But, um, that, that turned into cold rolled, you know, it was supposed to be like, a Hey, look, we have fat bikes or Hey, look, there's this trail you can ride in Marquette and like two to three minutes tops, maybe a little shreddy, you know, uh, just, you know, and it turned into this a 20 minute film. This is literally like the second time I've hit record and it, it turned into a, a 20 minute film, like I think 19 minutes and nine seconds or something. And, it, you know, found this great story, you know, of, the original fat bike groomers, you know, these, these, you know, Mike, Mike Brunette, you know, yeah. who's legendary with you no know, Cayman on trails network in Marquette, you know, he's but, been on the show. Oh, cool. Cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, this, these were the, the BMX guys that started building trails in the woods, you know, and now they're in their forties and they've got a little pole in the community and things are getting legitimized. And it's got the resources to experiment with trying to pack snow to ride these bikes on. And, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, everything kind of gelled really. And, uh, that, that became cold rolled and I had no idea what we had just uh, unleashed, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, I'm hearing about people coming up, uh, people having conversations in the airport on spring break. And they're like, where are you from? We're from Marquette, Michigan. They're like, Oh, that's the place with the fat bike where they ride bikes on snow, you know? And it just, it had this like just widespread effect, like within a week of we, we serialized it. So we, we released, cause it was 20 minutes and you know, even then it was like, what, what, what the hell are you going to do with a 20 minute film? You can't just drop that on social media and expect people to watch it. We didn't think it would work. So we, we serialized it with, uh, I think it was like four or five chapters. Yeah. Yeah. You had a handful of parts to it. Yeah, we did one a week starting right around Christmas, like right around early December of 13, I think it was. And, you know, of course, salsa, I wanted, I wanted some legit legitimacy from the, the bike industry, you know, to sort of carry it, you know, because I mean, fat bikes were still a joke. And yeah, I mean, that's when argue, they were taking it seriously. I mean, that's about the time that people like that was, and we joke about this kind of, but that was like when fat bikes were becoming like the largest selling segment of the bike industry. 
you know, I'd argue that it was a year early. Like, like it could have been a year, year early. Yes. Because, because then the next part of the story will make sense too. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was, um, Mike, Mike Reamer from, from salsa. Um, you know, I, I'd reached out to him. I, I think, I don't know if Hans, he gave me his contact or, um, it might've been one of the, uh, it might've been, it might've been Evan Simola from sports rack in Marquette, um, salsa dealer, you know, early salsa advocate gave me Mike's contact. I reached out, said, Hey, this is what, what we're doing. You know, would you guys, you know, put your support behind it and, you know, can we use your logo again, just not really having the confidence to, um, and we ended up swapping a bike and a little bit of cash, you know, as part of the sponsorship, but it was, uh, really, we were just sort of trusting each other. I think Mike was concerned. It was going to be, you know, he's like, it's a family brand, you know, like, no, we got to keep it clean. And, you know, so like, yeah, no problem. I've got young kids. Like there's really nothing in it that, that, that would be offensive. So yeah, it launched in, uh, within like a week. I mean, remember this was sponsored primarily by the travel industry. And within a week we had people showing up with, you know, $10,000 worth of fat bikes on the back of their cars from coming up from, you know, Grand Rapids, you know, Grand Rapids, Michigan and Marquette have a, a real connection with the bike world and the beer world. And people were showing up and like, where's this trail? Uh, they, they wanted to ride this trail and it just sort of set off this ripple effect. I mean, a lot of it was already in play, you know, but I think having that visual piece that somebody could just grab off the internet and say, look at this, this is what it looks like. This is what I'm talking about. And it really, it set things in motion in a lot of, a lot of different places. You know, they were grooming in, uh, is it Levis, Levis miles, Levi's yeah, Levis. Levis. Yeah. 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 You know, I think they, they were grooming in the Eau Claire area, y you know, so I, I think it also sparked, you know, some like rivalry, but it also sparked some ideas sharing on technology on the different types of groomers and stuff and methods for interacting with land, you know, landowners, uh, with. Yeah. Cause that got to be a hot topic as well. Cause there's a lot of fat biking going on on like snowmobile trails. Cause you could ride them on snowmobile trails, but snowmobile trails, wasn't, Nordic they, trails, they kind of started yeah. some issues. It almost is like version 2.0 of like access issues. Yeah, totally. Totally. And then, but it all goes away in the spring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> everybody gets a break in the, in the, in the spring. Like when the snow goes away, everybody can just chill. But, but yeah, so, so about that time, Travel Market uh, hired uh, Candy Fletcher, who's now my, my work and, and life partner to be their recreation director. And so she, and she, you know, she came from, from the bike community and, was you know at the table with the snowmobile groups and the bike groups and the trail groups you know tr trying to help everybody get along and then to sort of you know legitimize these trail systems and i think she went out i think it was probably inner bike no it was what was it it was like a it was like a fat bike summit i think well there in was like a crested butte maybe okay yeah there well that was where they i think that's where they held the original like fat bike quote-unquote world championships yeah no it wasn't crested butte it was um I know, I know they did a fat bike summit and this is in the Midwest, but I know they did one summit in the cable Hayward area. And that was, I think to kind of swap like grooming methods yeah. and like kind of idea share and what clubs are doing locally to get yeah. better at it. So, so candy was going around to these, you know, these fat bike events and, and presenting basically on what, what Marquette was doing, what travel Marquette was doing. You know, she travel Marquette had the budget to sort of send her around and be an advocate for, for the region. 
And, she, you know, she's showing cold rolled, uh, you know, whack jobs was developed specifically for one of her trips to Alaska to present in Alaska to show the evolution of, te- you know, it wasn't really meant to be a film. It, it was meant for, I was trying to make an entertaining, you know, explanatory video of the type, the types of technology that, that were being used to try What's and turn snow. experimented with because they had some serious yeah. experiments. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I haven't followed up on that to see if, if those have gone anywhere, but, um, but I mean, the trails are still thriving. Um, but anyway, you know, at one of these events, you know, Travis, Travis Ott from Trek, you know, came up to her afterwards and was like, you know, who, who did cold roll? Like we, we, we want to talk to that guy. And, you know, for better or worse, I became the fat bike guy. And, you know, we, we actually just, you know, I shot, I shot some Farley videos early on. You know, that was probably, I don't know the years on that, Probably but it wasn't 15, 16, maybe. Uh, yeah. It all happened at once. You know, it was like, just things were just like back maybe to back. That's to when back. it came out. It would have been shot prior to that, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the first couple of ones were some basic shred videos, you know, they, they, they Trek came to me and they were like, you, you know, that scene, oh, shit. I always, I always forget the name of the, the ski film. It's J, JP Eau Claire, JP Eau Claire. Uh, and he passed away in an avalanche a few years ago, but there's, there's this scene that went viral where he's skiing through this kind of decrepit town in, in British Columbia. And it, you know, it's this urban ski scene and like, you don't see the skier until like a minute in, you know, and it was, it was cut to LCD sound machine, uh, dance yourself clean. And, you know, it's just this still, I think a lot of, a lot of outdoor filmmakers would consider it as one of like the epitome of outdoor filmmaking at the time. It was mind blowing. I think it was, I think it was Sherpa's Sherpa cinema, you know, and I, I'd seen it, of course it was, it was sort of like leaked on YouTube ahead of the film release and ended up going viral. So the filmmakers just embraced it and pushed it out. And so everybody had seen it at that point. And, you know, Trek's like, we want that, but with fat bikes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, ah, ah, okay. Well, skiing's a little bit more dynamic than fat bikes. And that's one of the best skiers in the world. Uh, you know, like a champion of his craft and, you know, in this like visually striking area, I'm like, I'll, I'll see what I can do. And, and that, that was the first Farley video that I, I really didn't get a lot of eyes on it. I don't think oh, I'm, I'm proud of it. It was, it was, it was kind of spooky and weird. Uh, you know, Travis Brown was in it. Uh, T Brown. I'm terrible with names. Is that right? Travis Brown. Yeah. You yeah. Got he's a, tra- he's a tr- former truck athlete slash turned into the project product development guy. Yeah. So and yeah. super stud. Yeah. Out of Durango. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. He, yeah. yeah. He came, came to Marquette. Um, and then, uh, Chad, Chad Landowski kind of, you know, worked for Trek, you know, great rider now, now trail builder. He was, you know, he's sort of like the, the B rider, although he's probably the shreddiest rider in it. And, you know, we filmed on, on the same trails that we filmed cold rolled on. And, uh, and then we, we filmed up in Ishwaming and Nagani too, these old mining communities. And, and it, you know, yeah, cause you could totally get that old, old community vibe in Ishwaming and Nagani. That's what I was going for. I mean, you know, downtown, there's this dog grooming place called doggy styles <laughs> and, <laughs> And it has a, has a flat roof and like the lady that runs it is, you know, we're just happened to be riding through town and like, she's shoveling her roof, like two feet, three feet of snow off her roof. And, you know, there's this pile of snow on the sidewalk and I was, 
I was like, like, can you guys, can you guys hit that? You know, can you guys like ride through there and just blow that up? And so we asked her, we're like, do you mind if we film it? You know, she doesn't care. She's like, well, I'm not going to stop. You know, I'm not going to do anything special. I'm like, just keep shoveling and everything. You know, so there's this scene where these guys ride through and they hit the snowbank and, you know, there's like the pet grooming sign hanging there. I don't even know if people caught it, but it's just, just the weirdness. Like you we're know, looking that. to go look now. Oh yeah, you should. I mean, I I'm super proud of that film. I mean, we poured our hearts and souls into it. You know, that it's track, track, you know, it's, it's so legit. And, and, uh, it was the first, you know, it was the first one of those. And I really just, and I honestly, I thought it would be the only one. And so we just, we poured ourselves into it. And, um, I think made a really solid product for that first Farley video. And we did a Farley junior, you know, uh, with a, a dog and a, a kid, which was the hardest thing I've ever shot. Probably <laughs> an eight year old on a fat bike with a, with a dog running down the single track. <laughs> we, we'd get like literally like one second of footage at a time, like release the dog or release the kid. He's riding down the single track, release the dog dog runs by the kid, knocks the kid down. You know, <laughs> it was, it was, it was intense. It was, it was a short video, but it just, no, I, I think we pulled it off. And then, um, they had the concept. I got to say it was their concept. And I really loved it when they brought it to me. They're like, we have this idea. Like we want to shoot two seasons, you know, like these aren't just snow bikes. They aren't just for winter riding They're You know, it was the Farley EX, I believe yeah, the full, suspension. The full yeah. suspension. Sure. Yeah, you know, kind of an XC bike, but we filmed it in a, you know, in a pretty, I mean, with those, with those tires, I mean, the, and full suspension, the things you can do, especially on like the rock around Marquette, you know, I remember like when Salsa did their, with the Bucksaw and that, you know, they filmed it out in Moab, I think. And, you know, it's just like this, the, you see the tire just contort to the angles of the rock and you know it's, those things can grab anything I and mean, then the ability to you know roll down things I and mean, you're not going to do it very fast but you can go places you didn't think you could go so we, we filmed um i i later on i called it well seasoned you know like a three minute shred video that goes between winter and summer uh riding the full suspension farley ex uh it, it, i don't think trek gave it a name i think they just called it the farley ex a video on, on their YouTube. But when we got done with it, I was looking at it and I'm like, this is, this is good enough. This is a film. And I'm going to, you know, I named it well seasoned and it's on, it's on our Vimeo, my Vimeo. I'm super proud of that one. You know, it was super technically challenging to shoot. And, uh, well, some of the stuff you did with that, cause that was a video that just kind of popped in my radar again last night when I was looking for some stuff for this. And it's like you shot the same camera angles in the same locations in the opposite seasons. And that that is what's what really like you actually remembered where exactly where you were to go shoot it again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we went into it. I mean, um, I don't know. If, uh, so Travis Ott from Trek is uh, I think he's like global brand manager for the mountain bike division, or maybe that's changed. But, you know, he, you know, he, he was the boss on, on those and came in and, you know, and, I think sort of that engineering brain, like we're going to use DPS. We're going to mark the spot where the tripods okay. were. And, uh, and we're looking at it. Be the, the other, the other shooter that I, I had, a uh, young guy named Ryan Stevens that I had hired to, to help me out on it. We're looking at each other. And we're just like, we're just going to shoot a shitload of stuff and it'll work out. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's the only way we really know how to do things. And, uh, 
you know, luckily again, it was Chad, Chad Landowski riding, riding in the film. And, you know, he's just, he's just an incredible rider. He's able to hit, hit things over and over in, in the same fashion and really put his, put his body on the line. Cause a lot of those shots, you know, we, a lot of it, we were riding were they were not groomed areas. Uh, so he's, you know, just riding loose, wild snow and rock and stuff, you know, down the backsides of these hiking trails and stuff. And, you know, pretty short cuts because there were crashes at the end of them, but, but we were able to piece it all together. And, uh, I, I think really capture the feel, you know, cause that's really, let's face it. Fat biking never really looks cool, slow. but it, but it feels so yeah. cool. Like it feels, it's all your monster truck dreams come true, you know, and the ability to like blow down snow and, and, you know, it's, I, I mean, I don't think there's anybody who hasn't dreamed of like, driving driving a monster truck at some point and you get on that bike you're like wow i am this is this incredibly like unique and powerful feeling you know and then and then you see footage and you're like oh wow that that looks stupid (laughs) yeah i always have to slow my brain down when i get on my fat bike in the winter for the first time because it's just like it's just a different pace and you got to remember that yeah yeah and it's yeah so i mean for me like everything i've done with with outdoor uh, outdoor travel, you know, whether it's backpacking, sea kayaking, um, biking, skiing, Nordic skiing, ski touring, everything is for me has always been, it's, it has not been about speed. It's been about ex- exploration. What's around the corner? How far can I go? Can I, you know, can I, can I camp off of this? Like, you know, you know, like multi-day, you know, week long, two week long sea kayaking canoe trips up on in Canada, like that, that's really that's my passion. You know, like I meet people that race canoes and I was like, canoes are meant for going slow, like as slow as you possibly can, because why would you want to get to the other end? Like all the good stuff's right here in the middle, you know, and, and just making this last. And, uh, I, you know, a lot of times I'm taking photos or I'm shooting video. So we, I am going half as fast as is normal. And, uh, but, you know, say, and same with bikes, honestly, like I, I love, I love mountain biking. I love the thrill, but like I had these early conversations when I was up in Copper Harbor. I'm like, it kind of feels like a video game, you know, like you're in this closed loop and you know, it's like, you can almost hear the like Atari noises that, you know, as you're like, you hit, you hit the jump, you go through the berm, you, you know? And it's like, I really like more of a choose your own adventure, like going down a two track with, you know, the bike packing rig and, like some of those things at Bryce, I know you, I know you had um, Bryce from Bike Mag and Free Hub. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like some of the the journeys he's gone on and the films that have come out of that. Like I haven't had a chance to do the, those bigger trips, but like that spirit of exploration and, and adventure is really what what has always driven me. Yeah. Well, it's funny when you say video game, because I've equated and, and I've talked about dropper posts on this podcast before, but I equated like the first time I got a bike with a dropper post, it was like, I'm like, it's like unlocking levels in the next, the next levels in the video game. I didn't know I could do that. <laughs> and that's so I've used that analogy, just not even, and not even thinking about it the way you're thinking about it, but it totally just clicked with, in my head when you said that. Yeah. I'd say the same for, you know, for, for, for me, for, for plus, plus tires, you yeah. know, whether, they, oh, yeah. whether it, the big fatties or, you know, the studs, studded tires, or even just, you know, like uh, my stumpy has a, has three inch, I think three inch rubber on it. I don't, I don't, I'm not too technical with what I ride. You're just unlocking exploration. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. My, my go-to is a, a is a, is a muckluck with, with a 29 plus setup for bike touring. 
So I, I want to get into what you've talked, what you've done as far as like the blame Danny and stuff like that, but we're on the touring thing and, a, and maybe we should go there now. This is skipping around, which I think is fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, uh, that's one of those, those funny things where, um, I know that Todd's been on the show, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, a huge, huge personality, you know, just lots of fire gets things done. Uh, He's like the Gary V of the adventure. Mom yeah. I, 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 I respect the like huge personalities and understand. Right, yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. But it kind of drags me along with them because I get to record some of the stuff they, they dream up, you know, and uh, you know, there's always going to be a good story where there's passion and there's a lot of passion there. So yeah. Blame Danny, you know, Danny Hill is one of my, one of my favorite people up, up here. Uh, I oh, actually, yeah. I, I live in Ishpeming, like the Ramba trails are, are just, just down the road from me and, uh, riding with those guys a little bit. I've actually been able to keep up. Yeah. They're just at, at another level. Uh, you know, I was never physically at that level and skill level and they're doing it in their sixties, you know, and that's just, that's amazing. But, uh, and they're doing it for the name of, of adventure. Just fun. Just like, can we do it? I mean, it's, it's like watching my, I like growing up with, you know, cousins, like these guys on bikes, he's, you know, can you do it? You know, doing it a little faster, maybe, you know, hitting somebody's wheel and knocking them down. And, you know, it's, it's just like, it's watching these, these, they're 60 year old men. I actually don't know how old they are. Danny might not be 60 yet, but you know, they're, Danny's Danny's uh probably yeah. there. Uh, Todd's probably yeah, 50. yeah, yeah. Todd's Todd's right around my age. I think yeah, they're they're doing it for the for the fun of it. Yeah, Todd's probably younger than fifty. Actually, he's probably 44, yeah. 45. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's right around our age. So yeah, um again though, you know, that was I think for a lot of people starting out who who want to do what I did. And I, you know, I I'll I'll be the first to admit I didn't see any of this coming. I didn't plan any of this. I was I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time with the right skills. You know, I've got a, I have a bunch of, you know, sticky notes on my computer and stuff, just things I've heard over the years that one is things, timing, talent, tenacity, timing, talent. I, I, I'll own those tenacity. I, I got, you know, just enough to hang on, but yeah, a lot of this just happened and I happened to be here with, with, with the camera and, and know, knowing the right people and, and fortunate enough to be pointing the camera in the right direction and listening to the right stories at the right time. And, uh, but how do you make that work financially? And for me, it was the travel world. Um, you know, the outdoors industry is amazing, but it is not overflowing <laughs> with, with cash generally. You know, whether you're an employee or you're a contractor or you're an event looking for sponsorship, you know, it's, there's the other industries are in the periphery are kind of the ones that can help you fund your dreams. It seems like, and, um, the travel world for me is, is really what, what made things click being able to convince the travel world that the outdoor world had legitimacy for, you know, their their business goals, you know, to essentially bring people to a community. And that's a whole, you know, Pandora's box, of course, with trail sustainability and, and, you know, uh, just communities, communities growing too quickly and, you know, locals getting pressured out. And that's a whole nother conversation. It's one I have a lot. It's the one I have a lot internally, but for better or worse, it, it's how I make, how I've been able to make my living and, and, you know, 
grow a company to the point where, where you know, we have a couple of employees who also make their living doing this. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that, the ability to do that. So yeah, the travel world funded, most of the things people see, have seen from, from me were funded primarily by, by the travel world. And uh, Blaine Danny's no, no exception. Um, you know, they, they launched um, uh, the, the, Margie, the Margie Jessic event. And uh, I think it was the second year. We, I think the second year is when I filmed it. They had launched it. Yeah. yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. I remember the first year I, I'd seen the event and I had thought about it. And I'm like, that's pretty cool, you know. But I, I, honestly, I was in Copper Harbor that same weekend for a wedding. And so I knew getting over to that wouldn't be a thing, but I also had no idea what it really was. So that would have been a whole different, I mean, that's eye-opening experience. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really know either. I mean, I know it was riding bikes essentially the wrong way on all the fun trails. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And for, you know, and where I live is, you know, it's, it's pretty rugged. It's similar topography to what you have in Marquette. And I'm like, what would 112 miles or whatever shouldn't be too difficult. Really? I mean, I live in lacrosse. I ride the same type of vert yep. over and over and over. Yep. And it's, it is, it is ridiculously hard. Yeah. That, uh, the up, you know, the up and down in and out of the saddle, in and out of the saddle, up and down and the inevitable walking and, and just, yeah, it's, it, it chews people up. Yeah, you did such a good job capturing the true essence of that race. You know, if people just shelled on the sidewalk, people excited people in pain, people having, you know, bloody hands from holding on in the middle of the dark, like all the things. Yeah. Thanks. It, it was, uh, again, it was one of those situations where, you know, we just, we threw a lot of cameras at it cause it's, you know, it's essentially a one day, a one day thing and you know, you can't be everywhere. So we just, you know, a lot, a lot of people pitched in it. You know, there's a saying uh, filmmaking's a, a team sport and, you know, a- absolutely. Like there might be somebody at the center of it that has a, has a, has the vision of what it's going to be or, or thinks they do because once you start rolling in, you know, in like a documentary event like that, you don't really know what's going to happen. You might you have sort of a loose vision of how you want it to go, but uh, whether you get all the components to tell that story or whether the story you thought that it was is even the actual story it can shift. Yeah. We threw a, a lot of cameras at it and then, you know, got back to the, the cave, the editing cave and you turn the lights off and you pour some coffee and you sit there with the stuff and you start putting it in the right places. And uh, yeah, it all falls into place. And, you know, we had a, we had a GoPro, several GoPros on people running for the entire event or, you know, until the GoPro dies, which is like an hour probably because GoPros and, you know, we don't use a lot of GoPros. We actually fumble, fumble with them pretty hard. Uh, every time we have to use one, we're like, how do we not know how to use these? Like, <laughs> and, and, and I'm turning to the younger guys. I'm like, didn't you just grow up with these things? Weren't you just born with these? You know, why, how do you not, not know how to use a GoPro? But you know, one little blip somewhere in the race where somebody, you know, stoves a front tire and goes over the bars or, you know, Something a, a scene that I remember vividly is when the bars are too wide to go between two trees and you just happen to be right there or somebody, yeah, so one yeah. of your filmers was right there and it's perfect. Yep. 
yeah, that, that was my, you know, my, my buddy Christian, who I think at the time was a stay at home dad, you know, and, and, you know, knew how to, knew how to run a camera. So he, he, you know, volunteered to, he, he was on that section. And I think, you know, he knew the trails well enough to know that that was going to be an issue. And, and it's, it's funny though, like, talk, you know, I know the, the core of this podcast is community. And even though there's racers coming from all over the Midwest, I think I knew, if I remember right, there's like, two or three people that get jammed up in that sequence where they're, they're riding and there's a, there's, you know, two, two trees you can't get your bars through. And it's also right at a point where I think you go onto a skinny or something, there's something weird there that, and I think I knew two out of the three riders that, that got hit, that got pinned there. Um, and, you know, cause I don't think you see, you don't see their faces necessarily, but you know, you hear their voices. And I'm like, Oh, that's yeah. And then you hear blame. Danny. That guy. Yeah. 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 So it was, you know, in a lot of that too, I, I got to say, like, it's super rare. I think that, you know, you're given artistic freedom that you're given creative freedom by, by a client. Um, and, uh, I've been super lucky whether it's just the sort of fresh landscape that I'm working in, that it's still pretty young and new. And, you know, there aren't a lot of people doing what we're doing here. It's just sort of, a, I don't know, there's a lot of trust and, uh, luckily people trusted early on and kind of turned turn me loose. And then, you know, the product was good enough that it earned trust down the road. And, and we still essentially get turned loose to, to do what needs to be done. And so, so that was blame Danny. I think that was, was that like six minutes. It was, it was short. I know we wanted to keep it short. It was, it's a good, it's good. Yeah. It's six or nine. Yeah. Some, something. Yeah. It was, it's pre- pretty brief, you know, and it is, you know, at its core, it's a commercial, right? You know, I mean, that's through, you rarely get paid for anything that isn't selling something in, in, in my world. So the idea was to show the trails to show, you know, the, the span of trails from, you know, flowy jump lines to really rocky, tough stuff, stream crossings to show that like, okay, in the market area, all that exists. And there's this event, I mean, the event sells out. So it isn't like, we need to it sells out in minutes. Yeah. Like it was sold out. It I think it broke down the bike edge servers this last year. Right. So you know when it wasn't selling out when you made the video though. So let's be clear on I, that. So it started I, selling out after the video. I thought I think it was honestly because it I, may, I, well it wasn't selling out in minutes. Like I I remember the first time I got in, I decided to register I register maybe in like January or February. Like yeah. it would be sold out by the time you got up to the event. But like it then went to like Oh, it sold out in an hour. Yeah. Oh, it sold out in six minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I remember conversations leading up to it going, well, why should we do this? It's, it's an event that's already, you know, it's this fringe event. It's already, you know, it's already capped. Like, you know, like why, why pour gas on, on a fire? And, you know, why, why pour gas on a fire? You have this successful thing. Why would you do a video promoting it? And, and I'm just like, you got to step back. This isn't a video promoting this event. This is a video telling the story of a community that has all these things and this attitude. And you know, that it's, it's your brand story. It's, it's rugged. It's weird. It's authentic. That's, that's Marquette. And that's, you know, kind of having that ability, I think to, it's not just what the video is saying. It's not just the direct statement that's going on in front of you. It's this broader thing of, and then you stack a couple of those stories up together and you get this, this whole picture of a, of, of, of a region. And, and I think that's kind of what, what shifts 
it shifts the mindset about a community. I mean, and that's outdoor recreation. I love outdoor recreation. That's our specialty. We understand all aspects about the recreation and you know, we're kind of experts in that field and we can help communities do that. This is, this is the pitch for what we do, but, but it also could be, you know, a farm to table scene, you know, like, uh, it's just, it's that idea of taking those bits of your, of your community that, that you want to be the reality, even if they're not quite there yet and putting them together and, and, and holding them up. And that becomes it's self-fulfilling. It can be self self-fulfilling. And you know, that I think is the positive side of marketing, travel marketing, marketing a, a community. Obviously there's, there's, there can be downsides, but uh, I remember early conversations with, with Aaron Rodgers up in Copper Harbor and him, you know, kind of looking around at the town in like, you know, 2000 or, you know, mid two thousands and going like, I want there to be a coffee shop up here. Like I like good coffee. I want, you know, I, I, I want this for my community because it's what I want. I want to live. Oh, it's here. the intersection of selfish and selfless. <laughs> totally. Totally. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, why can't we have nice things? Like, what do we do to bring those nice things in and, and, you know, and, and, and still have them be real. You know, obviously you don't want to just, just drop a franchise in the middle of your town of, 80 people, you know, you, you, you want your neighbor to have that business and to see them thrive and raise a family. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I went down a, went down a tunnel there, but we can, we can stay on the Aaron Rodgers tunnel. Cause you, that's another <laughs> movie you made that I've watched many times. And that's, you know, the trail builder movie you made about oh. Aaron Rodgers, you know, and he had some really cool graphics in that too, but it was, yeah. it was really good. Forgot about that. Yeah. That was a three part series uh, called trail builders. Um, again, it was, you know, that was funded by state tourism. It got into outside magazine. I want to say too. Well, you know, it's the business side of, yeah, it's the business side of the media world. Right. So outside, uh, basically outside was hired by Michigan, uh, by, by, by pure Michigan, by, by a travel Michigan, uh, to produce that type of content. And, and here's the, like the small world stuff, the, the community stuff the the person at outside who's in charge of that uh you know grew up in i think fond du lac or sheboygan wisconsin and you know i called the the midwest mafia right like or the you know the minnesota mafia or whatever that you have all of these people throughout the outdoors industry that came out of the midwest and they hustle and they work hard and they get to these these places and you know and, and you know i think uh yeah he's Sam, uh, Sam's a guy at outside. He's based out of Santa Fe, New Mexico, but he remembered, okay, we've got Aaron in the Midwest and that all happened because, you know, outside does it's 40. They used to do like, yeah, they used list to do, of like, like top communities for outdoor recreation. Yeah. But they would do like 40 best things or like 40 yeah, yeah. greatest things or a, hun- a list of a hundred, you know, and it, it was, it's like things like duct tape, you know, or the Nelgene bottle or whatever. Well, one year it was the stormy Cromer, oh. the, the, you know, the hat with the ear flaps that, that's made in, in the upper peninsula. Is that Ironwood? I think it's, is that Ironwood that it's made? Yeah. Made, yeah. Made in Ironwood. And then also that same year in that same list was just the UP. If you know, you know. And I saw that, I just got chills. I'm like, somebody knows. Somebody on the inside knows. <laughs> At least I know. And, and <laughs> so, yourself. 
they're right. <laughs> I'm like, shit. Like who is like who's who is there like an intern or something that you know like let the secret out like who who on the inside knows, and so I I pitched a Q and A to this you know that Travers Magazine that I was doing a lot of work for. I said, hey, like this just happened, you know, in like the dominant outdoor publication in the world, and I you know I I want to find out who was behind this and and like how they how this came about. And they were like, yeah, go for it. And, you know, I sent off a query to the outside, like, how did this happen? Can, can I talk to the person? And it ended up being the editor, like the editor who now has shifted over to like the, the marketing side of the company and the sales side of the company. But yeah, so I ended up having this great conversation about growing up in Wisconsin and going to the UP and, you know, and uh, we stayed in touch and, Boom, you end up doing a, a three-part video series, you know, probably six years later, end up doing a three-part video series for for outside, you know, called Trail Builders. And yeah, uh, you know, we, we looked at Aaron Rodgers uh, as a mountain bike trail builder. The North Country Trail Association is based in Michigan. So we talked to Andrea Ketchmark, who's the director of that, and sort of, you know, her story of living out west, moving back to the Midwest. And, and then, uh, his friend, Sam Crowley, who was, uh, behind the, uh, the water, one of the water trails on, on Lake Superior and just a lifelong kayaker, just, you know, love in love with Lake Superior. So we told those, those three stories in video format. Yeah. Did, did some like old school, uh, stop motion animation for the intros on those. That was, that was fun. That was really frustrating, but fun. It, it turned out really good. Thanks. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was, yeah, I was super proud of it. We did it manual. I'm sure there's an easier way to do it, but we uh, went down and bought a bunch of stuff from like Michael's Hobby Store or Hobby Hobby Lobby or something like little tree. St- it's for scrapbooking. It's all that stuff you put in your scrapbook, you know, for, like your camping memories. And we uh, animated that and like moved the camera through it on a slider and screwed up over and over and over, and then finally got it almost right, I think. But yeah, Aaron's story is, you know, I mean. I, I, it's hard because when you get paid to do something like that, you know, again, it's a marketing video, essentially you, you want the story, but you, you can't go too deep. You don't really have the, the room, you know, and, and a lot of times you can't go into those darker corners where the good stories live. So I feel like, you know, we barely scratched the surface there, you know, Aaron's, Aaron's done a ton and, and, uh, has had a ton happen and, and, uh, has just been instrumental in so many things. I, I feel like we just scratched the surface. I, we were down in Bentonville for spring break this year and we're lucky enough to grab an evening with him, sit down, have, have dinner with him and his son and uh, shoot the bowl, kind of catch up. And just, you know, we were sitting there, we're just like, God, it was what it wasn't, it was 10 years. It's like, all this has happened in, in 10 years that, you know, he's, he's grown that thing to a just national level. You know, I've seen my stuff grow quite a bit, you know, not, not to that level, but yeah, just, we just, these like side by side paths. And... Now with you know with this podcast, I've been covering a, a lot of trail communities, and it's it's interesting because when I think about places that I want to go on my own, we have there's obviously been a huge explosion of of trail building in northern Minnesota, which is closer to me than Copper Harbor, you know. And there's just you know so in the summer, especially like for me, the logical place would be let's check out all this new stuff in northern Minnesota. But I was just just this week, I'm like. 
I got to get back to Copper Harbor because every year I love to make a trip that's maybe only two or three days long, midweek or early week, just and just by myself to unplug. And it's like, why do I keep like we have all these other things that are closer. Why does my brain always go to Copper Harbor? And and that's it's because every time I go, well, for one, if it rains, you can still ride because they their trails can handle it. Yeah. So you get, you're guaranteed riding. You might get wet, but that's, you're not going to wreck things for, from a trail perspective. And two, it's like the, the experience and the quality of the experience that they've built in that community is so good. They might not have yeah. 500 miles of trail like other big communities, but you don't need it if it's really that good. Well, uh, built and, and rebuilt now, you know, I yeah. mean, it, it definitely hit, you know, hit, hit some, some issues over the years with, with, you know, land access, you know, things that we, that, we thought for we're forever on forever. God bless insurance and lawyers. But, yeah. um, but you know, again, found a way around it, turning the corner, you know, um, the new owner of the Keweenaw mountain lodge, John is, uh, just, you know, one of those people who came in from the outside and I think really saw it for what it is and is just, uh, you know, a community minded, like super solid person who sees what it is, how good it is, but I think also where it can go, you know, uh, they were just instrumental in uh, getting the area designated as like a dark sky zone, which is, um, super you know, uh, super incredible. I mean, it's, it's sort of obviously, yeah, it's a dark sky area. And <laughs> nobody lives there, but, but having that, having that designation, you know, in, in a, in a, in a world where that that's getting rarer and rarer, just you know, kind of being on the map for that, taking the initiative to make it happen. And yeah. And like Chris, Chris Javert, uh, you know, yeah. relocating to that area and bringing his talents, his photography talents with him and uh, knowledge of the outdoor industry too. just sort of having that person in the community. I mean, we would go up there, you know, it's only so many times you, you can go up and like help out a trails club. That's, you know, quite a ways, even though I'm in the same region, it's still like a two and a half hour drive. Yeah. You have to go over and up. There's just no, so, you know, wanting to see it flourish, but, you know, you not really being there all the time for all the things that need to be done and uh, seeing somebody come into the community and really take that on is, has been, been cool to see as, you know, the whole region sort of rises up. But yeah, I, I haven't explored, I haven't explored much of the Minnesota stuff. I, I uh, every time I go over there, uh, it's paddling. I go over there to, to canoe and uh, I've, I don't even, I haven't even ridden Duluth yet. Honestly, isn't that funny? I've, I've only ridden Duluth twice and it was not what it is today. It was a long time ago. I'm going to, I think I'm going to head up there next week, but, yeah. but yeah, it's like, and I mean, that's another place where Aaron's company has been doing a ton of work. And so, you know, the quality of, of trail that they have on the ground yeah. is really good. Well, and I mean the trail building explosion, like I, I, I would love to do that. Like just like rock solid is, that you know at the center but like all the spinoffs you know yeah. you know uh and just you know so you know matt Bielek, right going back to cold rolled he's the like amish mafia looking guy at, you know at the at in, in the scenes where you know he, he's welded up that first snow drag and you know created that for ntn and he worked for ntn uh no came on trails network in marquette for for years um but you know he's out on his own he's uh flow flow track i think is, is his his trail building service and he's building bike parks in grand rapids michigan he's you know he bought a bunch of land in the marquette area like 
just like overnight, like these guys who used to goof around in the dirt are legit business owners and are employing people and, uh, you know, knocking down major contracts is super cool to see like the, the like economic legitimacy that has come in just in the last, I'm, I don't know, I'm an, I'm a politics and economics geek too. So I love seeing that those things and just pulling the strings and like following like, okay, we're like, he's building here. And then like, you know, so-and-so used to work for him and now he's spun off and he's doing his thing because, you know, there's all, there's, there's all this scale, right? Big jobs. And there's lots of little jobs too. And so, and, you know, people that kind of outgrow maybe a, a local contract or a regional contract and move on to something bigger, somebody still has to do that work. And so somebody else comes in and can fill that role and grow their company. And you just see this, like, yeah, it's, it's been amazing to, to watch and, you know, a little bit to document. I'd, I'd love to do like a, a builder series in the Midwest. Was it dirt? Yeah, it would, it would be awesome to see that. Was it dirt, like dirt candy, dirt candy designs in Minnesota. Yep. Um, They're based out of yeah. Northern Minnesota and they've worked, you know, partnered with Aaron's company or rocks. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, husband and wife team and just, you know, seeing you know, like a, a woman in that role and, and it's, Oh, for sure. It's cool. It's, it's cool to see the positive change and just, see yeah people raising families and like you know making a living hopefully saving for retirement <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna stick on the uh community thing but we're gonna go back to your community in a project or a initiative or maybe we could call it a party that you've created boy it's a party for and that would be for some, the some fresh people. Coast, <laughs> the fresh coast film festival oh yeah man another boondoggle <laughs> <laughs> another, another i was just looking at that video there that website last night and it's like this guy's got a hundred movies in there what is that right and seeing that yeah we generally have to again again this is this is a team a team effort like we have a hundred like super volunteers that make this thing happen there were three founders so uh myself sort of bringing the the like film and video background my my friend bugsy sailor uh Justin, but he's Buggy's always been Bugsy. Um, he's a, I don't, I don't know what you call Bugsy. He's a, he has a background in like web design and marketing, but he, he runs a little gift shop, a UP supply company in downtown Marquez. So he, he owns a retail business, but he's also, uh, he's just famous on the internet, I guess. <laughs> So he's, he's sort of brings that creative edge. He, he built that site. Uh, he did, did, did most of our branding or uh, all of our branding. And then he, he helps every year. We have a different artist develop art for the festival. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. And then uh, Bill Thompson, who, you know, kind of the old, the grand poobah of the uh, UP outdoor industry. He uh, is one of the co-owners of Downwind Sports, which, you know, again, talk about growth over the last 10, 15 years. You know, they've got three locations now, Houghton, Marquette, and Munising, you know, running like a guide service now and a, a, you know, a hiking or a ice and rock climbing guide service out of their shops now that's employing people out of the college. It's the whole, the whole scene's grown. Anyway, so Fresh Coast Film Festival is uh, based on my experience at festival called mountain film in telluride uh, which i had never heard of until i got an email from the director asking me to bring cold roll there uh in spring of 
14, 2014. Again, it was, I became the fat bike guy. And uh, so this, this video had gotten out there. There was a, a dude at outside television uh, in Maine, who is a like mountain unicyclist. I think he's an ultra runner now. I just glutton for punishment, but so he's a mountain unicyclist, super, you know, diehard bike geek. He saw cold rolled and sent it over to the director of mountain film, uh, David Holbrook, who was the director at the time. Um, and David was riding a, riding a Pugsley and kind of locked in a little bit of a tussle with, I think the resort in Telluride because they wouldn't allow, uh, he was trying to get, I think fat bike access. I think he was trying to show like, it's legit. It's, it's legit. You guys, you know, let's do something with this. And, um, so all of a sudden you had this filming, you know, these guys in Michigan are doing it. These people in Michigan are doing it. Like you're going to get like shown up by it. So I, I brought the film in, uh, it gave it a pretty central role in the festival. I mean, it's a, you know, like I hung out with Alex Honnold that, that year, I think, you know, it was like Alex Honnold, uh, folks from, uh, you know, the, like the magazines that I've been trying to write for, for years are, you know, all there, Every, everybody's there. And I, I went out in 14 and just had my mind blown, you know, first time to Telluride, which it, you know, is just this whole next level of amazing. You know, I'm, I'm joking. I'm like, well, I'm hanging out with the 1% and people are like, this is like the 0.0001%. And, you know, you're in this, this mountain community in this, in this box Canyon, you're in this Valley and, uh, going to all these really inspiring films, you know, you're connecting with people, you know, people working on the same level I'm at. And then also like people working at the very, very top, you know, the, the folks from like camp Four collective and, uh, you know, Sherpas and just like all these names, you know, the, and, and you, you realize they're just, re- you're just regular people, you know, they're just, they're just people with a vision and a little bit of hustle and some connections. And you're just like, Oh, okay. But I'm also looking around and there's nobody here from the Midwest that year i didn't i didn't meet anybody else from the midwest i don't think there were any films you know it was it's pretty mountain centric and i'm i'm talking to people about careers and everybody's struggling and, da, 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 and i'm thinking geez I'm, at this point i'm doing i'm doing fairly good and i'm thinking wow like i've got i've got like all this social capital i've built up in the market community with the film projects and kind of you know helping the economy grow and and uh i'm like why don't why doesn't this exist why don't we have this you know like we should have this there's plenty of good stories maybe there aren't that many people telling them or telling them this way and um you know came back made the mistake of mentioning it to bill thompson who's like his greatest gift in life is getting other people to do things (laughs) he'll be the first to admit it uh and he kind of was like well you should do it you should do it you should do it you know and it kind of just kept poking and poking and poking and like in 2016 we just like literally were like we're gonna do this and had no idea how it was gonna happen uh you know bugsy built a website like barely got it done in time you know like a, a month out got our logos done you know we got a few sponsors on board local sponsors you know, we didn't get any any national sponsors. I wrote a grant, you know, we got like a $4,000 mini grant from the state. And, um, and then like this super volunteer from the community stepped up and she's this event planner. 
um, like a national, she plans like national dental conventions or something, you know, and, and, uh, or yeah, I, I, and so she's done this before and her grandkids are in Marquette. So she moved to Marquette and, um, she, she had actually emailed me multiple times and I, I kind of was like, ah, I don't know who this person is. I don't know who this person is. So, and then finally I called her and she's just like, this is what I do. Like, just, yeah, let me add it. And boom, 2016, we launched Fresh Coast Film Festival. And again, it was like right thing, right time. Like the goal was to sort of create, I shouldn't say create, I guess maybe give an outlet to the people in the overlooked areas, you know, like it's definitely great lakes driven. It's definitely the fresh coast. That's our branding. But I sort of feel like a soft spot, you know, like a, a little, a little, I, I always love the underdog. Right. So like, you know, if you're making an outdoor film in Kansas, you know, you're, you're welcome, you know? And, and, and so we have material, a lot of the, you know, we have stuff that you're going to find in Banff. You're going to find in mountain film. You're going to find in the other festivals so we can have a national level festival, but then we're also, you know, we're saving space for our regional stuff, you know, and it was stuff like I was making, but I knew there were other people making it, you know, there's, uh, I had some, some friends that were making some really great, like contemporary, uh, you know, indigenous culture films on behalf of like the regional, regional tribal, uh, entities. I was like, that's, a, that fits, you know, we're talking about the land. We're talking about uh, community, living culture, environment, uh, and you know, enough adventure to kind of give it that spice to make it, to make it interesting. And, uh, I, I joked that, you know, we were, we were trying to get the granola people, we were trying to bring like the, you know, granola and red, red bull together. So we're trying to get people to like put red bull on the granola, you know? And like, I really wanted to get like the North country trail folks and the bird watchers in alongside, you know, the, the, the 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 passionate young people that maybe are very sport driven and very athlete driven but not as uh, environmentally conscious as as they would you know probably evolve into as they get older but it's just trying to mix that up and really create a, a unique regional festival that featured local content regional content national international content all alongside each other and brought people in so they can all feed off each other um, and it actually worked. Uh, it, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I had it in my head, like, oh, maybe, maybe someday, or like maybe we'll inspire some people to to make some stuff. Or if there's people already making stuff, we'll give them a place to put it. And you know, a lot of a lot of uh, media folks work in in a silo, in a vacuum. Like we're tucked away in our little dark caves editing. You know, we, you see us once in a while bouncing around with the camera, but like we don't actually participate a lot of times. We're there to do our thing, and then we go back and and we don't. You know, there's no water cooler, um, so this was designed to sort of be that kind of thing. And um, the, you know, we took 2020 off because of of, of uh, COVID, um, but I think this will be our seventh year, our sixth festival. So yeah, and it's grown every year. You know, the, it's still pretty bare bones budget, but like it's a nonprofit, so we spend all of our budget on bringing people to the festival. You know, trying to get a good mix of people, and like the quality and the quantity of the regional films 
uh, and filmmaking since we started has really, really impressed me. Like I'm super proud to have this stuff at the festival and, and hold, hold these new, new filmmakers up. And I think a lot of it would have happened. I'm not saying Fresh Ghost caused it. And in some cases, I, I know people who didn't think of themselves as filmmakers. We definitely opened their eyes. You know, we just, we saw something on Facebook or I say we, I choose all the films. <laughs> I saw, so I saw something on Facebook or I saw something on you know, YouTube or whatever. Of, uh, and I reach out and I'm just like, Hey, like I saw that thing. It was super great. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, it's a, only a minute and a half long, but like, like, you know, you could, this is what I do for a living. And, you know, if you thought of yourself in a different way or work, you, you could probably do something like that too and bring, bring it to the festival. They come to the festival, they meet other people, you know, there's, there's been a lot of people moving back to moving back to the area that have cut their teeth, you know, all those magazines that just got whacked in the outdoors industry. You know, there were a lot of Midwesterners uh, barely making it in the magazine world in, you know, places like all the places, that, you know, and I think are, you know, looking at what's next. And uh, I know some really talented folks that have moved back to like Minnesota era, Arrowhead area have done some films done some projects around Cuyuna and, and, um, at Redhead and, um, Boundary Waters, you know, they, they've worked, they've worked at places like Patagonia and outside and they're bringing that, that juice back and Fresh Ghost is a place for that. It's been cool. So since, so we're going to, we're going to loosely timestamp this because this comes out, this Fresh Coast Film Festival is in the middle of October. Yeah. Is it, I'm assuming it's always in the middle of October. It is always the third weekend of October, but this year, October is a little weird. So October starts on a weekend this year, I think. So yeah, but it's October 13th through the 16th of 2022. Yeah. And we're usually in that window. And so since you know the films and the films are up on the website, that's at least clips of them. That's last year. Oh, that is last yeah, year. Yeah, that's last year's. So, yeah. So let me let me ask you this. Do you do you have can have you looked at all the films yet? And do you have something that's that sticks out in your mind to kind of tease people with? Because this this podcast will come out in the middle of August. Yeah, yeah. Um boy, uh yeah, you're catching me off guard. I'm I'm actually right in the process right now <laughs> of so we we close submissions like the end of May, I think. And, you know, they always tr- keep trickling in a little bit. Um, and those are the films that are specifically submitted to us. And I always give those priority. You know, I sit down with those and, and go through them first and uh, see, see what we have. You know, in this day and age, a lot of stuff is hitting, you know, is going live before it's the old model of like releasing your film at a film festival and having it tour for a year and then putting it on YouTube is is going away unless it's something that's like heavily sponsored or, or, or conversely isn't sponsored at all. And there's no revenue benefit from, you know, there's no sponsor telling you it needs to be on the internet, getting as many eyes right now. So a lot of the stuff that we're going to have is on YouTube and Vimeo, but with the absolute glut of video stuff right now, most of it, if you've seen it, you probably saw 15 seconds because you, you were scrolling because we're all scrolling and you didn't see the whole thing or you didn't digest it the way you're going to digest it when you're among people in a dark room 
something flickering. It's a cave in a bigger screen. It's a cave and a campfire. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's primal. Uh, the, the, and that was another thing I took away from mountain film was just like, Oh, Oh, a festival. This is a, this is a film festival. You're, you're watching this together. You're experiencing this together. Someone's laughing over there, you know, and like all of that just ties into like some primal DNA memory that, that we have. It's like, you got to get this bright thing. You're sitting in the dark as a group and you're experiencing something and then you're talking about it later you're sharing it later and so so a lot of this stuff is already public and and you can track it down but odds are you don't have time so what i do is essentially uh, you know i'm a nine, 90s guy i'm making a i'm making a uh, a mixtape it's essentially a mixtape a, a weekend long mixtape of of other people's videos taking other people's films and and essentially editing a feature-length film a weekend-long film out of other people's films so those films would be equivalent to clips video clips and so you know you you drop those in just the same way you'd you'd make a mixtape for your girlfriend or whatever you know or you (laughs) it's you know and the way they play off of each other and the way they they're clustered together in in these like thematic groups Again, I, I'm I, no creative genius. I borrowed that from mountain film. First festival I went to, uh, I'm thankful, was the best, in my opinion, the best festival. And I think it still is. And the way that it's structured was just, everything's walkable downtown. So it's downtown Marquette. All right, going back. So I go to Telluride and I'm like, wow, this is a really hard place to get to. Like it's seven hours from Denver. It's seven hours from Salt Lake. It's I don't know how far from Vegas, like places you would fly into that you could easily fly into. You're still have to like do this overland day long journey to get there. And yet they come and yet people come. And once you're there, it's this neutral territory. Like, uh, it's everybody's, you know, I don't know that Telluride is truly anybody's hometown. You know, it's sort of this neutral space that anybody, you know, I'm alongside alpinists from France who are there and, you know, there's just this mixing pot. And that was one thing that clicked was Marquette, you know, Copper Harbor, the upper peninsula, you know, Duluth, you know, Ely, places like that. Like we have, we have those Midwest equivalents where there is no, you don't accidentally find yourself there. Yeah, you, know, you you go there on purpose because of something. And once you're there, I mean, I love the UP, but I'm, I'm from Wisconsin. Like, I don't have that like it's really strong downstate Detroit connection yeah, as much. I mean, I'm getting more now that I do more work down there. But I I see the UP and Marquette as a sort of neutral territory in the Midwest that you know everybody can kind of come there, and it's it's more about the lake. You know, it's about this inland sea. There's this like amazing quantity and quality of water and just this total vibe. It's in the fall, which, you know, that's one of the things the Midwest does better than in, you know, most, a lot of places is, you know, the the fall colors are going, maybe you get a storm on Lake Superior. So you get some big waves blowing up. There's just this like energy there. And then you have the creative energy from the people coming. And then you have an audience that, you know, people, the filmmakers that come remark about the audience that like, they've never had questions like that most questions are statements you know most people when you're in the, the bigger film festivals the people in the audience are also in the film world and so they're there 
to talk about themselves. You know, they stand up and ask a question and it's like, is there a question? You know, that's, that's great. Thanks for contributing, but is there a question? And, you know, we just, we have civilians, like literally like people that genuinely are there because they're curious and they want to learn. And there's a whole world they don't know about, you know, and, um, an example, I have a, a, a young, young friend who's, you know, working his way up through the BMX ranks right now at street riding. And, uh, he's actually in the, the project adventurous film. He was, he was part of our crew for about half of it, but you know, they make films for each other, essentially, you know, like they don't really get seen outside the industry. You know, he had shot a bunch of stuff in like the Houghton area and, you know, in, in our region. And I'm just like, I don't think people know this goes on. I don't think they understand why you're riding on the roof. You know, why, why, why you jumped up on, on the roof and that this is actually an art form and, and that you guys are actually like pretty intelligent guys that, you know, are, are good, are good, essentially good people. Like you're not like, you're not punks. Like, I mean, you are punks, but you're not like devious people. You just are, you're making art with your bike and recording it and have a certain look. So, so I took a couple of his films and edited them down to like a 10 minute thing um like a 10 minute block and you know put him in the festival and he came out of that just like wow like like i was having conversations with like 70 year old dudes about bmx like legit conversations and i'm like i'm like yes like that's exactly what was supposed to happen like that was yeah and so he's you know he's now moved into a realm i think he moved up a sponsorship level and he's actually cutting videos you know for the company he works for i think my dog is pounding on my door. Can you hear that? I can hear. Yeah. It. Yeah. yeah I, have, I have a puppy that's apparently freaking out. You can, you can check on the puppy if you'd like, cause it, like everything it's, it can be. Yeah. Here, yeah. Hopefully he'll, maybe he'll just chill on my lap here. He's just, he's very active with his paws. He's very handy. Yeah. Yeah. We had him with us down there. How was, did he like the trip to lacrosse? Uh, he did pretty well for a puppy. He, uh, he lived in, he lived in the RV most of the time with the AC on and, uh, he would sleep all, it was, yeah, it was warm. It was warm. And then he would just freak when we got home. I mean, he has so much energy. He's a Boston Terrier and he's just has so, you, yeah. Did you like staying down at a uh, petty bone? You know, we don't go for the camping experience. <laughs> we go for the, the, the cheap lodging, uh, you know, stretching the budget. But it, it wasn't, I mean, it was cool being on the water. Yeah. I mean, you're almost downtown. Oh, totally. Right? Like, uh, uh, Darren, Darren brings his BMX bike wherever we go. So, you know, he, he hopped on his BMX and, you know, I think he went and found a skate park. He, he rode around. He probably yeah. broke some rules, but, uh, no, Whatever. it was, it was, it was super convenient. We, we originally were like supposed to be at goose Island and didn't really know like how much further away that was. Um, so we had, we canceled and moved it up to Pettibone and, uh, yeah, it was, it was all right. I mean, they definitely pack them in there, but it was cool being on the water. Yeah. Yeah. You're right on the West channel there of the Mississippi. So yeah, yeah, we could, we flew the drone from there, you know, we were able to like fly up, up to the, the blue bridge, you know, and, and without, mm-hmm. without breaking many rules. And, uh, I know that bridge well, especially the arch. Yeah. It was my job for two years was working on that bridge. Oh, building or when it was getting built. Yes. Wow. So, so are those two different generations of bridge there? Is that? Oh, big, t- 
big time. One was built, I want to say, in 1934. The, the truss was built in 1934. Okay. And the arch we built, we started building it in winter of 20, 2002. And, we've, and we opened it to the public in fall of 2004. I want to say it was like January we started building that. And it was done over two contracts. So I was like literally my, I was the assistant project leader for that project. And it was like, wow. I lived it for, 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 and I lived next, I could, like I lived in downtown La Crosse at the time. And so I could actually see the project out my living room window, which was kind of cool. Oh, wow. It was a good, I was in my mid twenties, right? So it's a perfect time to live in downtown La Crosse. Yeah. 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 The design of it, we, we, we were kind of struck by the design of it, you know, having the, the negative and the positive, like, uh, and, and how they lined up. And it's like, it looks like two mountains with a sun rising or setting, you know, that, from certain and angles. that was exactly what went into, you know, what are we going to, what are we going to build? Because building a truss now, like that was the technology we had in the 1930s, but to be completely, yeah. not, to be completely honest, that bridge is a significant suck on funds for maintenance to paint that thing every 10 years. And, you know, so 1930s technology is much different than the technology we have now. And so there was, the thought was, how can we actually put another bridge next to this bridge and still make it so it doesn't like look totally out of place. And I didn't really, I didn't know, I don't know if anybody would have known this, but I didn't know it would become such an icon for the community because it's now used in so much branding. I never saw that coming. Yeah, it's, I mean, it is, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, it, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a symbol, you know, it's, it's a metaphor, but in, you know, in one shot you show rivers, bluffs, yet, you know, there's so much right there just in that one look, um, you know, we're always looking for things where we, how, how do we distill the essence of a community down into, you know, ideally one image that kind of tells most of the story immediately or, you know, maybe a series of, of images and, uh, you know, the, that shot, the bridge or, you know, river, is it riverfront riverside park? Riverside park is on the one side and then petty bone is on the side that you stood on. Yeah. Yeah. Petty bone side. Yeah. We get, it's hard because we go to from community to community and like, you know, so many places have a riverfront park or a riverside park or, uh, uh, you yeah, know, ours is, it seems like it's constantly under construction. They've been doing a lot of additions to it lately or they, they built the band, they rebuilt the band shelter two or three years ago now and now they're putting in the transient docks as you probably saw yeah yeah you know so they can do because it's hosting those uh large mississippi river paddle wheel you know tour things is is pretty big yeah. especially now that you know t- people traveling is coming is is more a reality again yeah yeah so they wanted to be able to, to really capitalize on that obviously the planning for that went and started before 2020 yeah you know yeah yeah, when we were there, uh, one of the nights we were shooting, uh, you know, they were doing a concert down there and, and just all the boats. Yeah, pulled, Thursday nights. Yep. People tossing beers, you know, back and forth. And yeah, it was. It was, it was. Yeah. And I, I totally forgot to tell you. And I, and I didn't even think about it until after you left town. Once a month, they do a thing in the cross called Beer by Bike Brigade. And I'm like, well, maybe he'll run and do it by accident. But it's literally like, I don't, I haven't been to it since, since pre-pandemic. I remember talking about it. I remember talking about that in like eight, 19 when we swung by. Yeah. So they had one going on. That was the weekend of it when you were in town and 500 people show up and they literally, the guy that organizes it, like they meet in Riverside park and then they have four or five predetermined destinations that they stop at to like 
they basically stop at a local, obviously some of it's a local bar, but some of it's, you know, they've stopped at like an art studio or they've stopped at Smith's bike shop Yeah. or they've, you know, or they've, you know, they stopped at like a pottery studio, you know? And so they, and these businesses get business and everyone's having fun and it gets, it's raising awareness of bikes being in your community. Yeah. It's and it and then on top of all that, it the whole basis of it is fundraising for local nonprofits. Oh, sweet. You know, so it's one hundred percent driven on community and funding for and and I've tried to get Mario on this podcast because of this. And Mario is really and he's you know, we talk a lot, but he does not like doing media. And he likes he's the person that wants to stay behind the scenes as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember the name from our conversation in nineteen of like people because we were we were at that time we were looking for story ideas, people to profile. And because you know, we were we were pitching that sort of story video model to communities trying to get them to buy in because we had we'd had so much success with it in other areas. But it was just kind of cost prohibitive. So we're just doing photo and video now, just a little simpler, lower budget. But yeah, uh, was Mario the? Is, does he build bikes too? Is he the? Nope. That would be Paul Reardon is the owner of Blue Steel Bikes. That's Blue our Steel, that's bike it. manufacturer, and he, him, and Paulie or Paulie and Mario do a lot of a lot of collaboration together. Um, behind the scenes, like one of the big initiatives by Beer, Beer by Bike Brigade was getting more uh, bike racks in the community because there's a, I don't know why I, well, I do know why, cause they're valuable, but lacrosse is like a serious hotspot for bike theft. It's really, and it's, it sucks. It does. But really? like we've, we've literally seen people at hotels in downtown lacrosse, like with like a nice Yeti or something on their rack. And I know people and we've called people and we're like, get that hotel to tell that person to take that bike into that hotel because that thing will not be there in the morning. Yeah. They're a very sophisticated ring of bike thieves. And for whatever reason, the authorities don't take it as seriously as we do. And we've literally like cased hotels to tell people, get that thing in the hotel. Do not yeah. leave it on your car because it will not be there tomorrow. Uh, we do a, a newsletter. We try and do it like once a month. And, you know, a lot of our, we do our marketing emails, but then we also do just sort of like, news advocacy useful stuff for the travel industry and the last one candy built a like a pdf guide like how to be bike friendly and you know how to offer you know like it's not that hard like a a concierge service or you know just just a safe place if you don't want them in the room which we understand then create a space in the boiler room the janitor's area or whatever and like just just have a space for people just even be to be aware that somebody might want that and educate your staff and yeah. So it was, it was like a downloadable PDF to, that we shared with people. I, I don't know. I think like six people downloaded it out of like 150 that we sent it to, but. Is it still available? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, we have it. It's, you know, it's, def- it's definitely designed for people in the hotel world that don't know anything about, but correct. Yeah. And like just some yeah. basic numbers, like some education numbers about like, this is how much these bikes cost. And like, you know, this is why these people are passionate and maybe a little rude and angry about their bikes. Yeah. Like you just think it's a bike. It's, it's a pet. It's the same. It's the yeah. same reaction people get when they want their pet to come in with them and they don't want to leave their pet in the car. And, you know, except you understand that because you probably have had a pet at some point, you know, uh, and you haven't had a, a maybe a 5,000, $10,000 bike. Yeah. And, and they don't. Well, and the reason why Mario had, um, 
Paulie actually custom build bike racks is that he wanted, like he had one requirement. He's like, it had to be U lock friendly because I am so sick of cable locks. And he, yeah. he was like, he gives, he, he fundraises for U locks to give to people because he knows that cable locks are really just, they just slow people down yeah. by like a second or two. Right. Yeah. You know, so he has, his requirement is that the the rack had to be U lock friendly. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, we had everything chained up at, at the campground, which feels silly, but it's like, you don't know who these people are. Like, yeah, I mean, most of them have nicer stuff than we do, but yeah. Inside the campground, you're probably honestly, because it's a gated campground too, is, is a little bit safer. Yeah. It's sort of marginally. Gated. It's not downtown. Like downtown lacrosse is, is yeah. it's bad. Huh. You cool. know, it's, it sucks. Do you want to talk about, do you want to talk about lacrosse or us coming to lacrosse or, um, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to brag on lacrosse. I, I love, I love it. Love that town. Love the trails. I mean, we didn't get too much time, but I was just, we can briefly touch on it. Yeah. I, if you, there's if, a topic you, that I want to touch on that relates back to film festivals too. Okay. Well, yeah. And you said you had a shoot this morning. I'm like, oh, I was, I, I had thought maybe you had some kind of like sunrise type of photo shoot or something. Uh, it's just a, like a rise and grind thing. They do we have a, a co-working space. We're, we're doing a, we're doing this series called people of Marquette where we're, we're highlighting uh, a mix of people from the community because it is growing. Uh, a lot of people that can work remote now are finally like pulling the trigger and moving someplace nice. Um, not necessarily where they have to work. And so Marquette's definitely seeing that. And we're, we're trying to like welcome them, educate them, kind of create this, yeah. And, uh, the co-working space owners are one of the profiles we're doing. These, these three women that, uh, took over the, a co-working space and they do these, you know, commu- they're trying to build community is what it is like amongst people who are kind of working independently in their own little vacuums and to give them a, a pl- give them a water cooler, you know, give them a place. So they have breakfast on Friday mornings and they have uh, a few, a few quick speakers and just like networking. I mean, it's just, it's just people hanging out. It's, it's a, it's a break room. Basically it's just people hanging out in the break room talking about, but we need to get B roll of that for this project. And, well, on that topic, I've brought up a lot in the podcast because it is, you know, we are now living in a time and we were living in that time, even prior to 2020, it just got super accelerated where people do and can now choose to work or live where they want to play. And that's becoming such a huge thing. It was, it was interesting. Like, so it was about a year ago, I did an interview with Kyle Horvath, and I've talked about this a lot. Kyle Horvath is a convention and visitors bureau director in Ely, Nevada. Yes. Yeah. Ely's blowing up and they're doing everything right. <laughs> and he, you know, and, and it was interesting. This is the first time I'd ever heard anybody say this from the convention and visitors bureau space or the tourism travel space is that, and they're also talking about getting, you know, getting high speed internet there. He's like, if I'm doing my job right, I'm getting another 10 or 20,000 people to move to this community, to actually live there, you know? And so that's, and that was, that was a pretty powerful, powerful statement for me to hear him. Yeah. We've taken that approach to it's Michigan's a little different. Like it's the chamber of commerce and the visitors bureaus are for the most part separate and they're funded differently. Which which is in Wisconsin too, where I live. Ah, Well, lacrosse, it's, I should say lacrosse, they're they're separate entities. Yeah. We've run into situations where like, yeah, the visitors bureau person is the chamber of commerce person or whatever. And, but yeah, like in Michigan, it's more about heads and beds 
And that's, that's where their vision stops. And we've had to have these conversations about sustainability yeah. and, and all that. And, but their board is just, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's just it. Cause I've heard like when he, when he didn't talk heads and beds, yeah. I was kind of, I was blown away. I was like, Whoa, like this is like, you're really onto something here. Yeah. I mean, a good place to live or a good place to visit is, you know, probably a good place to live. A lot of people want to live a lot of, a lot of people move. I mean, I, I did it. My ex-brother-in-law did it. You moved to the places you vacation as a kid. It's just, you have that memory of, you know, like, and, uh, like my yeah, brother-in-law's out yeah. in Montana, you know, Yeah, but people, people do that. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed on the show can be found in the show notes. Our next episode dropping later this week will feature part two of the Aaron Peterson story. In part two, Aaron shares the backstory behind the movie 24 Leeches, which is by far the most important and meaningful movie Aaron has ever created. I encourage all of you to watch 24 Leeches before listening to part two. The link for 24 Leeches can be found in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Fact Podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Don't forget to please leave a rating and review as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Fact Podcast. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature in Trail Fact, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>